Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel here with Elias Randall. <clears throat> what? Say gotta, say something. It's got to be summer. Yep. We've got a plaid short sleeve on. I really like that, actually. It's a, it's a nice color on you, Elias. Thank you. Well, and two, so one, I knew you were going to make a comment about my shirt because it's new. Uh, but not only short sleeve and plaid, this one has the flex breathable material. There's a sticker on it when I bought it. So I am very fashionable and comfortable today. Did you literally get paid to say that? I, I should I, be getting paid to say that. I feel like you're working towards some type of sponsorship opportunity here with that uh, that beautiful endorsement. But uh, been a couple of weeks since we've done this. I just got back from a fishing trip, which was really fun. And I saw some cool stuff. We went to uh, Lake of the Woods with some friends. Really fun trip. And I have a funny story about something that happened. You know, stuff we talk about all the time. But on the last day of the trip, we decided to go to um, a place called a shed in War Road. Uh, Minnesota. And it's this 100 car collection that's been collected by Bob Marvin, who Bob runs Marvin Windows up in northern Minnesota. And, and I'm not a car guy. And one of the guys we were with is like, ah, can I bar borrow your truck for the day <clears throat> to go check out these cars? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I'm a fishing guy. And I got up and I looked outside. The wind was blowing like 20 miles an hour. And there was a light miss. And I said, look, we're going looking at cars and you know we were looking for oil cans and we were doing a little picking i'm not a picker but it's pretty cool but anyway so we check out this car collection and you wouldn't believe the stuff that we saw i mean you know you walk in he's got a white corvette and there's a tour guide and the guy goes young man can you read those numbers right there for me I'm wait like, he said that to you he called me the young okay, man okay cool he goes can you read those numbers right there i said yeah zero 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 one he goes, do you know what that means? I'm like, the first one off the assembly line? And it was. But, I mean, this guy has the most phenomenal car collection. So if there's car people out there, go to War Road and check it out. And it got me thinking, we always talk on our show about investments and in the form of stocks, bonds, cash, alternatives, those type of things, right? There's always other investments out there, and these have become an investment for this individual. In fact, that he came in and I got to talk to him and he said he bought his first car in 1981 for like 6,500 bucks. Well, that car is probably worth like 80 or 90,000 today. Um, so sometimes it's kind of fun to learn about other investments that people are making that aren't necessarily, you know, what we think are our mainstream today. Yeah. And don't what the car has to be like at least 20 years old and certain i mean because only some only certain cars go up in value right if you have his collection and they're probably all older cars and they were limited at the time or at least highly sought after now i think he buys cars that he likes most of them are older cars and he has about everything you'd want to see from the you know the the muscle cars from the 50s and 60s and 70s um we had the roadrunner car there which is this pony i mean it was awesome but uh, my favorite car is the 789 corvette and it's a 2008 car actually put out by Corvette. And what they did is they took the front end of a 57 Chevy, the midsection of a 58 Chevy and the back end of a 59 Chevy Corvette. So it's awesome. And it was made by N2A Motors. So N2A stands for no two alike. So it's the only car like it in existence. And I Google it and sure enough, his car comes right up. It was the coolest car I saw there. Wow, that's awesome. So it, did you know that car before you went or that was your favorite one there? This. I, I don't know anything about cars. I know how to turn them on. 
I ought to turn them off, maybe. <laughs> I mean, the guy's talking about 427, three whatever, four barrel, five. I don't know. I'm like in a world of confusion. But I just know when I like the looks of something. Right. It looks like, and there were newer cars already. I want to say you had like a 2013 GTO. He had this spider. I mean, he had some really cool stuff. I mean, it was really cool. And then, of course, he had like the old kind of historic cars, but he he kind of turned his investment into an investment of cars. And I asked one of the guys I was with, what do you think this is worth? And he's like a car guy, right? I'm adding up the numbers in my head. He's like, I think it's probably $22 million collection. Has 100, 100 yeah. vehicles? Yeah. 22 million. That's what he thought. Because, I mean, he had he, he, two of the cars there he'd bought from Reggie Jackson. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. um, it was really cool. Right. So if anybody gets up to War Road to the Lake of the Woods area, check out the shed. It's only open by appointment only. Don't go there without an appointment. It's got a stop sign outside with a red light, green light. Green light means they're open. Red light, not open. Um, check that out. I think you'll kind of find it enjoyable. Yeah. So red light, green light, simple enough. Uh should we get into the topic for today? Yeah, I, I just had to talk about the cool cars I saw. Okay. So, so today topic is the 10 ugly truths about your finances, right? Number one, some of your investment success will be left to chance. And I guess this is something we talk to clients about, right? But we feel like one of our jobs is to eliminate as much of the luck and hope out of people's financial planning as we can, but inevitably, there's always going to be the element of chance in um, in people's investment life, right? Yeah. So the number one thing, not the number one thing, but one of the things that plays a big role in whether someone will be successful in retirement or not, and people don't get this, but is the sequence of returns. And what I mean by that is, if you give me three investors, and they all give us a hundred thousand dollars but they invested at different times, like different years they start, and they all average exactly 8%. Just, you know, human math makes us feel like, well, if they averaged eight and they gave us 100, they averaged eight, in 30 years, they all have the same amount of money. That's what you would think. think. Yeah, right, right. But that's not accurate. Right. Because it actually means more how you get those returns. Meaning, year one, if you lose 30%, you gotta make, 50 to get back to zero just about. So the sequence in which you return them kind of dictates more of what happens long-term. So if a person's really close to retirement or at retirement and the their accounts go down 30% right away and they have not put together a plan that quantifies whether they'll be successful or not in retirement, that can be very, very detrimental because if they don't have a spending strategy put in place, they may have to sell an investment at a loss which then they've locked the loss and there's no chance to ever get it back. So one of the ways people can, you know, kind of combat that during that early retirement phase is to make sure they have enough money set away for two or three years of retirement savings so that we don't have to sell investments at a loss. It doesn't mean it has to be in cash. It just needs to be in lower, lower volatility investments that typically won't go down large amounts of money immediately. Yeah. And this kind of, so this idea, does this lend itself a little bit to like to uh, stress testing portfolios? And for our listeners, when we talk about like doing Monte Carlo simulations and like that and things like that, we're kind of doing this to their situation. We're stress testing different 
variabilities of returns and different sequences of this returns? This is exactly what, I mean, if you, the essence of a Monte Carlo simulation is testing the random sequence of numbers. Right. Meaning we're testing all the different returns you could get, all the different outcomes and all the different possibilities that could go in there. So it's really what a financial plan does. And it's why we're such big advocates of doing that, because how do you know it'll work out? You're just going to think, and as we talk about, we want to move people to the probabilistic world, which can only be done by having a financial plan. Right, right. And so, you know, people getting closer to retirement, a lot of, and this is almost like just a general rule of thumb, and we've talked about before, some rule of thumbs are dangerous. Um, but as people get older, that kind of the automatic thing people do is, should I start investing more conservatively? So that's another truth another one of the ugly truths we're talking about today um, is you can invest too conservative too conservatively for your situation well the, the question is can but can you still invest too conservatively and the question is yes um, if you do a financial plan it's fairly easy to figure out exactly what the right portfolio is for you but I think the default option for people who haven't done planning is I'm at retirement it's now to go into this world of safety. But I want people to think about, if you retire at 62 or 65, you might be in retirement almost as long as you worked. You can live to be 90, 95 years old, which is almost as long as you worked, and you have to make this money last. So to go into this protectionism mode is really a little bit foolish because you're not going to keep up with inflation and all the other things that are happening. One of the, the, the things I, I, I thought about and what a lot of people like to do with their retirement that do this themselves and don't have a plan is they go pick a target date fund, right? They go yep. say, hey, I'm going to pick the Vanguard 2020 fund. I'm retired. I want the Vanguard 2020. And I asked you this question because I knew you probably wouldn't know the answer. I just Correct. said, what do you think the stock to bond allocation is? of the Vanguard 2020 fund. Right, I think I said probably it's like a 30, 70, 30% stock, 70% bonds. I went and looked it up, it's a 50-50 portfolio. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. If you, if you think about that, most people who are in retirement are thinking, man, I have to have this all in safe money. Vanguard's 2020 fund is 50% stock. That should tell you something. You need to have an allocation to the market at some level to be successful. And that's what we can really guide out with a financial plan. And, and I talk to people about this a lot. When people come in and tell me they're really conservative, it's really because they don't understand why they need to be in the market. They don't have conviction to be in the market. If they have a well-written plan that says, if you're not in the market and you're all in cash, your prob probability of success is zero. But if you have 50% of your money in the market and 50% in fixed in income or cash, and your probability is 70%, I know which one they're gonna pick every single time. And what we're doing is giving people conviction. So you can be invested too conservatively if you haven't done a plan. If you haven't done a plan, you've, you've dialed it in. And, and that's what some of these ugly truths are about. It's just people have lacked to do any type of planning. Yeah, can, can you go the other way and be too aggressive for your situation? Surely. Yeah, I mean, if we're going on vacation, Elias, and I'll, I'll use this this analogy. I have clients in Red Oak, Iowa. I go down Interstate I-80. There's two routes to get there. The route you're supposed to take is a hard surface road all the way to Red Oak. Well, one day I missed it. 
And I just took the next exit. I'm like, well, I just go south. Get me where I'm going. Brand new truck. I rode gravel for 26 miles. <laughs> Got me to where I went. But which road was more enjoyable? Which one had less perils? Right. I got to the same place with way less risk. So it's the same way in investing. You might be able to be more aggressive, but if you don't have to take that risk, why should you? One of the things the financial plan will do, it might tell you, hey, you're putting your retirement at risk by having it all in the stock market. I don't know. It just depends on each individual situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of leads into our, our number three topic here. And it's you're probably not saving enough. I think this is a pretty relevant um, topic for now, and we probably have some younger listeners. And with uh, to me, this your savings rate—that's what falls into what we talk about—the sphere of control. That's something you can control. And um, you know, now with and actually this weekend, um, we had people over to hang out at our pool, and someone asked me about meme stock trading, and. I just said, I don't, that's not what we do for people. That's not how I help people. And he's like, well, I mean, how come you're not doing it? I said, it's just not, it's, I'm not a trader. I'm an investor. So that's not really for me. But I think some of these things, to me, it's like, okay, meme stock trading is probably irrelevant to your long-term success. Um, Maybe like some advice from TikTok or whatever people promising you, you can get all these returns. But what will be relevant to people's success is saving an appropriate, um, saving the right amount of money because you can control that and then also control what you do with the money, right? Buy a good diversified portfolio. Yeah, not saving enough is the number one problem, right? 64% of Americans, I have the statistic, have less than 10,000 saved for retirement. I was really shocked by that. That seems pretty high, but it's probably true. You know, never forget this. My father-in-law one time, he's in the insurance business, said, hey, Roger, I got you meeting with these people. I need you to go meet with them. They have a beautiful house, new cars. They got all kinds of money. And they're retired. I went out with them, and they had 75000 saved. And they had a pension, some other stuff. But people in today's society are so concerned just keeping up that savings is on the back burner. They're just trying to make their primary payments. Um, more than a half of millennials have zero saved for retirement. Zero. Which is hard to think because that means they don't have an employer or their 401k, they've taken money out or cashed it out when they left the jobs or all those different things. Um, and 30.7% of people over age 55 have savings under 50,000. I mean, it it's going to be this huge stress on the social security system, which, you know, if people aren't aware, that's changing. I mean, it's not if, it's when, right? Because it's set into law that they're going to cut your benefits by 20%. It's law that's going to happen unless something is done to rectify that situation. I believe it's 2028 is the date now. Um, so you, you combine that with people having no money, you know, all of a sudden people are going to have to live on less. And one of the reasons setting up a very good savings rate early, which 10 to 15% of your income is what you should be doing, um, is the power of compounding. And how many times have we had a parent say, hey, what if I got my 22-year-old child to start putting in $100 a month or $200 a month? What would that turn into? 
And we clearly don't know exactly what it would be, but we can go back and say, had they been in the S&P 500 for the last 30 years, this is what it would grow to. Is that accurate? No, it's not what it's going to grow to because we don't know what the returns of the market are going to be. But if it's similar, it could be a number in the ballpark, right? Right. Um, so our recommendation is always pay yourself first. And I've actually written a guide. It's called the Freedom or the Financial Freedom Guide. It's on the website, kind of how our steps go and to get to financial freedom. Uh, but step one is pay yourself first. We we did a show, and maybe Molly can put down in the links. Uh, somewhere in this video to the latte factor, because that's what that show is all about. There's a book called the latte factor by David Bach. And it's all about paying yourself first and the power of letting that money compound over 20, 30 and 40 years. You know, the, the challenging with saving money, there's no reward early on. No, there's I mean, not. There's Very no little. reward for yeah. a long time. I and mean, think even the person putting a thousand bucks a month away, they put a thousand bucks a month away for a year. They have 12,000 saved. They make 10%, and now it's worth like 12800 Woo. Like, you know, I mean, oh, I made right. 800 bucks, but I had to put twelve in to get it. It doesn't get exciting until there's 500000 a million, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I had a million dollars in there, and now it's one point. I mean, 120000 Then it's exciting, but it takes a lot, a lot of years, 20, 30 years to get to that point. So there's no satisfaction, but, you know, most people aren't saving enough for retirement. Yeah, and so then when you start... I guess when you get started saving and then you are saving enough, now you have to decide, okay, am I going to save this money into pre-tax dollars or Roth dollars? Um, and Roth, it goes in after tax, grows tax-free. So that's another one of the truths we're talking about today is, so you might regret you might regret skipping your Roth contribution. And this is a conversation we have a lot. And typically, I almost always think that the benefits of the tax-free growth, especially if you're younger, outweigh the tax deduction um, that you get in the short term. And obviously that's different in everyone's specific situation. Um, here's what I like about it. It's, I know that money's tax-free after it's in the account. You're so just keep it simple and build it strong from there. I refer to that as the, the known tax code. There's only one tax code in America, one known tax code, and that's the Roth account. It's yeah. zero. It's not going up. Could it go away? Maybe, but it's zero for now. Um, the Roth really benefits the young people and generation, generational wealth type strategies for older people. We have this conversation with people a lot, and, and I get it. Nobody wants to pay taxes. But I want everybody to be real for a minute on how much you're really paying. Because I know, because I've seen the returns from, I look at tax returns all the time. If you're a married couple making $160,000 a year with two kids, your effective tax rate's like 10%. You're paying like 10 or 15,000 in taxes. You understand if you tax defer 19,000 to 401k, you, you do a tax defer 19,000, you're 30 years old. What that's going to grow to in 30 years, and now you're going to pay tax on that amount? And oh, by the way, guess what tax code that is? The completely unknown tax code? What if tax code, tax rates go back to the 40s and 50s where the highest highest top marginal tax rate is 92%? you going to feel good about tax deferring those dollars, or did you want to suck it up and pay an effective rate of about 10%? Yeah. You know, most people want to complain about taxes. Most people are paying very little. Very little. Yeah, most people are paying very little. Um, 
Well, and that's kind of another, this one almost addresses, it's not necessarily a myth, but there's another kind of rule of thumb in our industry that you want to defer your taxes for as long as possible because you'll be making less money in retirement. And I think that's a talking point. We have a lot where most people keep the same lifestyle or even try and give themselves a raise in retirement. There's not many people who retire and then say, well, I'm going to be totally okay living on 60% of my working income. Cause at that point you you've established a lifestyle you like. So why wouldn't you want to keep that lifestyle? Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you strive to live better in retirement than when you worked? I mean, isn't that the American dream? Like live a good retirement, not just a social security retirement. Well, it's probably part of it. <laughs> part of the dream, right? So Anyway, number five here, you probably aren't considering future health and long-term care costs. Uh, yeah, so I mean, these are healthcare, long-term care, expensive events, and those are very real things that people go through. People are aware, but they don't know how they're going to handle it. The average couple that retired in 2019, if they were 65, they'll spend almost 300000 medical costs in retirement, according to Fidelity. Actually, 285000 Think about that. So if you had a million bucks saved, 25% is going to medical costs in some fashion between premiums, care, deductibles, that kind of stuff. $285,000. Um, 70% of people over age 65 will need long-term care at some point in their lives. That's a pretty staggering number. And there's really... That's a lot. And you think about it. There's, there's a couple ways to deal with long-term care. And we talk about this in our office. There's really four ways to deal with it. One, you can do what the vast majority of people do. Let's ignore the problem. Yep. I'll just deal with it when it happens. That's well, yeah. an option. Ignore yeah. it. Yeah, you can ignore the problem. Number two, you can do Title 19, which is basically spend down all your assets and then have the state pay for you. And for some people, that's a very real choice for them. I mean, even if you have a couple hundred thousand, I mean, you can't afford long-term care insurance. And that's the third way to do it is to insure this. Right? You can insure your long-term care state. The problem is most plans are use it or lose it. I mean, if you don't use it, you lose the benefit. The other major problem, these prices have gone astronomically high since I started doing this 19 years ago. 19 years ago, I could get someone a good plan for 100 bucks a month, they'd have a great plan. Today, it's three and 4,000 a year in premiums for one person. So now yeah. you start to look at this and say, okay, if you, if you have a million bucks saved, right? And your health, your long-term care premiums, which are not guaranteed, are 6,000, are you spending half a percent to 1% just for long-term care costs? And then what if you have 300,000 saved? You gonna save 2% of your retirement income on long-term care? It just becomes a very, very right. difficult choice. And the last option and way to deal with long-term care is just be self-insured. There's a point in which if you have enough money, you don't really need yeah, to, you don't need to. Yeah, and insurance agents oversell this stuff, right? They say, well, you know, the nursing home costs 80000 a year, so you better buy a policy for 80000 Well, yeah, but you don't lose your pension, you don't lose your Social Security, you don't lose your investment assets. You know, I mean, if it's eighty and you have a $2,000 a month pension because most people are going into long-term care today, probably had a pension of some kind. That was the retirement plan of their age group. Right. You have a pension, you have a Social Security benefit, and you have... 400,000 assets, you might have enough to pay your own freight. Yeah. So you remember, you don't lose those. So, um, but it is something people should plan for. Like, you know, it doesn't mean you have to like save this bundle of money and say, this is for healthcare. You just need to be aware of what the issues are and how you're going to deal with them. 
when they come. It's like identity theft. It's not if they're going to get your identity. They already have it. Experian gave that all away like five years ago. It's when people are going to use your identity and take it and how you're going to deal with that problem. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if 70% of people over 65 have some kind of long-term care stay or whatever that is, I mean, that's basically, you can just pretty much assume you'll be one of those people. Yeah. And I don't want to fear monger people. Long-term care stay doesn't mean you're going to a nursing home. It yeah, means you, you could have a help at the house or you could have a 12 yeah. week stint in an assisted living because you had a hip replacement that qualifies as a long term care stay. Number six, I think, is really at the forefront today. And many people are strictly focused on market risk. I mean, right. What's the risk of the stock market? When we talk about risk and investing, that's usually what comes to mind. Well, the market could go up and down. There's all these other risks out there that I would call hidden risks. Right, so interest rate risk, inflation risk, and business risks are the three other risks associated with markets. And right now, inflation risk is real. I just saw um, Social Security COLA increase 5.7%. That's unheard of. They increased COLA 5.7% of Social Security. That's astronomical. In fact, I think I saw um, something today on Bloomberg. We could see inflation this year of 7%. Really? 7%? 7. Yeah. So. Those are the risks for people they're not looking at. And those risks can kind of flood over into markets as well, right? Because if all of a sudden the Fed has to start raising rates, that's going to affect growth companies and it's going to potentially affect the stock market. We're not going to predict how or when because we clearly don't know. We don't predict. But people that have fixed income portfolios should be aware of what's going on from an interest rate standpoint and an inflation standpoint because both of those could have adverse effects on fixed income and bond portfolios in the near future. Yeah, and there's really, I guess we talked about on a recent show, there's kind of, with regarding inflation risk, there's kind of three camps right now, right? There's people calling for this long-term hyperinflation, people saying this is gonna be transitory, meaning it's gonna be short-term inflation that we experienced because of the pandemic last year. Um, and some people are saying that they're making an argument for deflation or disinflation. Um, and I, what are your thoughts on that? Where are, I mean, I guess without saying what you think or like make a prediction, this is going to go can back. People think about it. This is going to go back to on my fishing trip. One of the gentlemen asked me sitting at the gas station. He said, Hey Roger, how, what are you doing? Are you concerned about this country's deficit and our spending and you know it's kind of going on a political road i said you know what i'm not i can't be concerned with it because i can't control it right what can i control to affect those things if i'm concerning myself with all the stuff i can't control then drive myself crazy i can't control what inflation does but what i can do is control where i invest my assets I can control my asset allocation. I can control my savings rate. And that goes for him too. I told him, I said, I can't control how we spend money. I control who I vote for. I can control once again, where I direct my investment dollars based upon what I think the best investments would be if that happens. And that's the same with this. So I'm not gonna predict where it's going. I have opinions, but I don't know just like, I mean, the three people you're referring to, one was Kathy Woods, one's Jeffrey Gunlodge, I believe. And I don't remember the third, but. They're all super smart people right. and they don't know where it's going. So why in the world am I going to predict? So I, I think people should be aware of this 
and focus on the things that they can actually control in their life, which is having a financial plan, your asset allocation, regularly rebalancing, saving a regular and consistent amount of money. Yeah. So I before we move on, I have one other question. And so I guess I've and I've also seen some numbers on they're calling wage inflation. So people's wages are going up. And mm-hmm. I guess this is kind of one of the ideas I was starting to think about. So I know everyone talks about inflation and inflation is bad when prices are going up. It it hurts because you're paying more for all the things that you buy regularly. But if people's wages are going up, like across the board, if we have inflation and wages, yeah, I know that that means some prices are going to go up too, but isn't that a good thing too for people to make more money than they were able to make before? Yeah. I mean, inflation actually is probably higher interest rates are good for retirees for sure. I mean, if you think about the average retiree, they borrowed for their first house at the highest borrowing cost of all time. Today, they're receiving the lowest interest on their money of all time. You know what the historical average on cash is? It's like 5%. Yeah, like 5 yeah. Today, if you get half a percent, you think you hit a home run at the bank. You feel <laughs> like you're stealing from if you're getting half a percent, right? Mm-hmm. I, and it's just, it's recency bias. But um, inflation may or may not be a good thing, I think, for people who are retired, higher interest rates are probably a good thing. There will be some short-term pain to get there. And we don't want hyperinflation. We don't want things to run away. We want this to be controllable, but that's also why we have monetary policy and we have ammunition to kind of fight that inflation. All right. So number seven we have here, you may be prioritizing the wrong things. So this is another question we get a lot and it's saving for college versus saving for retirement. I have a great story about this. Tell it. About seven years ago. Okay. And you know, Lies, when I do a plan, I'm going to tell somebody what they have to hear, not what they want to hear. Correct. Sitting in our small conference room, presenting this plan. This guy wants to retire at 57. He's got these two boys. And I said, well, for you to retire when you want to, and I don't remember the exact ages, but he had to put away another 14000 a year, and he had the money to do it. He needed to save 14000 a year more. And he had the money to do it. He looked me in the eye and said, I can't do that. I go, why? He goes, I have to put these boys through college. And I said, I understand that's a priority of yours. But let me ask you a question. Are they going to help you pay for your retirement? Well, the answer is no. The answer is no. But he didn't want to hear it. Didn't become a client. He didn't like what I told him. But that was a fact. So I have this saying. Once you're on track for retirement, so if we can take you through this process, quantify with some level of certainty that you're good for retirement. Now we can start talking about the college savings, the vacation house, the investment property that maybe you want to buy. But we need to make sure you're on track first. And too many people say, hey, I have to pay for college. You don't have to pay for college, right? You can pay for some college, but you, you're not helping anybody if you're putting yourself in a bad situation, because I promise you, if you paid for your kid's college, but then you can't retire, it's going to be more stress on your kids when you get to retirement, they're worried about mom and dad not having any money than it would have been for them to pay off a student loan. They could have got a low interest rate, fairly low, or they could have just worked their way through college. I mean, what happened to, yeah, we go to college, we work in the summer to pay for college. I mean, you know, now it's, we go to college and we party in the summer to pay for college. 
<laughs> you make money partying? I don't know, but that's what they think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my point is they're not doing anything. Right. You know, when I went to college, I worked all the way through. So my parents helped me. They didn't pay for all my college. I had some small loans, but I didn't take on 40000 of debt. My parents didn't sacrifice their retirement to pay for me. They surely didn't sacrifice their retirement to get me through college. So people need to prioritize them first. It's like an airplane, Elias. What do they say in the intercom when you're getting on the airplane? Put your face mask on first before you help others. Right. Because you'll be more of a help if you're securely, you know, taken care of. Then you can really help others. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you're if you're saving for college but not for retirement and then you get there, can cause stress on your kids. Well, now they're adults and they're working, but they're maybe worried about you because you didn't save enough money. And then what's amazing to me is someone would rather save for their you can get them to save for their kids' college, but not for their own retirement, which is, I guess, is probably the nature nurture. Like we want to take care of people, take care of our kids. But man, take care of yourself. You can put fifty bucks for your kid. You can do fifty bucks for yourself. And I see it. I've seen this before. Yeah. Um, so you know, prioritize what's most important, which is your retirement first. Making sure you're on track. If you do a financial plan and you're good to go. Yeah, go guns a blaze and do that 529 plan or college savings or investment rental property if you so want to. Yep. Yeah, so that's just lending to being prepared, right? Having a financial plan is being prepared. And that's another one of the truths is your employer might not help you prepare. And a lot of companies offer 401ks or a simple IRA, some kind of savings plan. But there's not as much of like education education and making the decisions on maybe what to buy inside of those plans. So there are, the plan could be offered, but you're probably going to have to make some effort in a, as far as what well, you're going to buy and the investment decisions and stuff like that. Well, the employer is not going to help you do is figure out how much you need to put in, right? They're going to help you figure out what you they're have to do. They're not going to do a financial plan for you. They're going to do it makes them be compliant from a fiduciary standpoint. And that's kind of where it ends. And what I mean by that is they're going to tell you, hey, you need to put in 6% to get the full match. Here's the 10 investment selections that you could pick from. And most of them are going to be a target date fund, right? And yeah. the default option, that's probably okay. But when it comes to doing this, you're going to have to craft your own plan, your own decisions. And this goes back to, do you have the time, the desire, and knowledge to do this? Because it's going to take some time to figure this out. And if it does, if you don't, you should go find someone to help you. Um, but don't plan in your employer. You know, people think, oh, I do my 401k. I'll be okay. That doesn't mean you'll be okay. If you put it all in cash, it doesn't mean anything. Just because you have a 401k plan doesn't mean that's enough to retire. People have this fallacy that if I just do my 401k plan at work, I'll be good. Well, you might. Or you might not be. Depends on what lifestyle your family lives. If you're highly compensated and you're living on three or four hundred thousand a year and you just do your 401k, you will not save enough to be okay in retirement. You're gonna take the 60% pay cut. That ain't good. <laughs> no. No, and that's probably, you know, and this is another area that's like an added benefit for our clients. Um, we help people allocate their 401ks all the time. So that's just an added service because if we have we have a client that has some money invested with us but they they could have a 401k at their employer and we're not getting 
any sort of revenue from that account, but we certainly help them make those decisions. Cool. And it's just like we said, it's one less thing you have to think about and know about and do. We'll just help you do it. We're in the business to help people. And that'll come back down the road. We want to grow their account just like they do. But what's interesting is what I just said leads into number nine. Just because you have a high net worth doesn't mean you'll be okay. Right? Because I think net worth is the biggest skewed number of all time. Because most people, they look at their net worth and they pump their chest and be like, I have a big net worth. And then you break it down and 70% of their net worth is their house that's paid for. And as we've discussed- their main residence, right. Your primary residence is not an investment. If a realtor tells you your house is going to be the best investment you'll make, he doesn't know anything about investments. Because the only way to ever turn that that house into an investment is to sell it and not have a place to live or downsize. You could downsize and then maybe. But let me tell you, I've owned a home for 18 years. I can add up how much I put into these places versus what they're worth. I've made a whole lot of money. What? What? Do you know your return on that? No, Probably I'm not even tracking it because it's right. not. Because here's why: for me, it's not an investment. It's a place to live. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's included my net worth, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, what matters for retirees or people that are trying to get to the point of financial freedom is how much money do I have that I can convert into income? Yeah. Right? So we're talking your investable net worth or liquid net worth. If you have a vacation property, you have a rental property, that's different. But Correct. you know, too many people say, oh man, I have this big net worth. Well, yeah, but if it doesn't generate revenue, what good is it? Right. You know, we have a client and we had this discussion that farm, they're only getting like a one and a half percent ROI on this farm and they're spending more than their 401k will support long-term. I'm not talking 20 years. You know, we had to have the discussion. Are you willing to sell the farm if we need to? And the discussion five years ago was no. And today it's like, yeah, I want to live this lifestyle. And if I need to sell that farm to continue it in 15 or 20 years, I sure will. But originally in our financial plan, we'd excluded this asset from the financial plan because it was an emotional deal. And that's where, man, you have all this money, but maybe not unless you can convert it into income in retirement. Right. Um, So right, right there, that's a great example of a couple that has a high net worth because of a lot of land that they own. Right. But they're only drawing income on, there's only so much income that they can produce from it. Um, and the other thing I really liked about that meeting and that situation, that was a really good example of using someone's financial plan to quantify a decision instead of guessing or saying, which it'd be easy to say, well, yeah, if you sell the farm today, you're going to have enough money to sustain the lifestyle. But we are able to like schedule it out 10 years down the road or something just because they, I don't know, they're coming around to the idea of selling it, but I don't think it's going to be the easiest thing. It doesn't seem like it's going to be the easiest thing. They may not need to sell it. And they might, you're right. Right. We set this up as we need to have the contingency plan if you get unlucky. Because without the sale of the farm, the probability of success was like 52%. Well, 52 doesn't mean it work. doesn't work. It means half the time it doesn't work. Right. So if we get unlucky, which is what we try to prevent, we needed to have plan B. And by bringing in the sale of that farm, brought the probability like 99%. It was like no big deal. But it skews the numbers if we're not going to do it. So yeah. um, just because you have high net worth doesn't mean you'll be okay. You want to look at your liquid net worth when you're kind of analyzing things because that's the money you can, you know, 
turn into revenue. Yep. Um, and this number last. 10, this is actually one of my favorite. This one's good. Life will inevitably get in the way. Here's why I want everybody to take away. There's not a convenient time to do anything. It's never going to be the perfect time. Think back to when you had kids. Was it a convenient time? Probably not. <laughs> no. um, you know, but having a plan is how you overcome this. And it goes back to savings, right? It's never convenient to start saving money, right? There's always right. other things we'd rather do. But once it, you get it and you get a habit, it becomes just like regular life. Um, I had somebody tell me once we were talking about downsizing, going from, you know, a house to a condo and like, you know, seven years old might be the time. They're like, well, we don't plan on getting sick. I'm like, no kidding. Who does? Well, yeah, no one was, <laughs> well, yeah, no one was planning on getting sick yeah. in 2019 either. And then we had, but that was their, their, their global pandemic. They said that to me. They're like, well, we don't plan on getting sick. I'm like, yeah. Nobody does plan on getting sick. Yeah, no one plans. For but that. it's just something that happens in life. So um, there's always going to be things that get in the way. But the one thing you can control is having a plan and trying to fully execute that plan to get a really good outcome yeah. for retirement. And that's what this is about. It's about bringing people from the hope, think, luck world into, hey, let's get into the probabilistic world here where we can go to sleep with some level of certainty and know we're going to be okay in retirement. Yeah. And I, I want to share, this reminds me of a story, a conversation I had the other day. So and this was a conversation with a 25 year old. He called and scheduled an appointment and he, uh, he asked, he said, so my, my uncle told me, I just want to know what you think about this. He goes, my uncle told me that the best time to invest was yesterday. So that means the second best time to invest is today. I just said, well, I, I agree 100% with that. And, you know, it's just like what we're talking here. Life will inevitably get in the way. So if you just get started, get started investing somehow on, on a savings plan and using a plan and everything will work out and you'll be all right. I like that closing. With that said, everybody, thanks for listening to the show. If you're looking for help, you can go to btwellshow.com. Uh, you can get a plan. You can talk to one of our one of our advisors. We'd be more than happy to help you out. Until next time, this is Roger and Elias. Have a great weekend. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.